Good morning, guys. Great to see you. Get your Bible out. Turn with me to Genesis 42, and uh, we're making our way uh, through the story of Joseph. And um, and thank you for taking a part of your spring break to be here. You're all the people that didn't travel. Do you ever feel like you're like, we're the people with no friends? So um, we're here today. And, uh, or maybe you're here today traveling to see a friend. So welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, I hope that you're reading along. I, I really, really do, man. The story, I told you last week that the story of Joseph is just an incredible story. It, it, it really, really, I can't encourage you enough to uh, open your Bible even today and read Genesis 37 to 50. And I know that sounds like a lot, but uh, it's a great read. And uh, it's just an amazing story uh, of God saving his people. And I think you would enjoy the read. And so if, there's your Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. You don't own a Bible. Uh, let me encourage you to take that one with you. Okay, we would love for you have a copy of the Word of God. But I told you last week that the story of Joseph for me is is like one of my, is like watching one of my favorite movies over and over and over. I just love, I would rather watch one of my favorite movies than sit through a movie I hated, you know, and then be like, I can't believe I just wasted my time on that. And so this week, what I decided to do is jot down uh, a couple things that the movies have taught me through the years, okay? Uh, And some of these will probably land with you as well when you watch a movie. Uh, In a movie, a man will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating but wince when a woman tries to clean his wounds. I don't know, I've learned that from movies. Um, I've learned in movies that a person can get knocked unconscious by a violent blow to the head, but will never suffer a concussion or brain damage. I learned that in the movies. Another thing I've learned in the movies is that any lock of a building can be picked by a credit card or a paper clip in a few seconds unless the building's on fire and you got to pick the lock to get out. Then it takes forever. Um, I learned that in the movies. I learned in Hallmark movies that every small business owner will turn down mega million dollar offers to sell their business and keep it small and intimate instead. I learned that in the movies. I learned in movies that all bombs are fitted with electronic timing devices with large red readouts so you know exactly when that bomb will go off. I've learned that in movies. Uh, I've learned in movies that all medieval peasants had perfectly straight teeth. Fascinating, because none of my children had that. So um, it's fascinating to me. Uh, I learned in movies that you never have to say hello or goodbye when you answer the phone. You just pick it up, start talking, and hang up when you're done. I didn't know that. Um, I learned that if you, in a martial arts, when the hero of the movie is heavily outnumbered, his enemies will surround him and patiently wait and attack him one by one, (laughs) dancing around him in a threatening manner until he's knocked out the predecessor. Uh, So those are things I've learned from the movies, right? And uh, hopefully uh, you've learned that too. But here's some things that we can learn from Joseph, okay? And so last week we ended the story uh, with Joseph uh, coming out of prison 
interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and letting Pharaoh know, hey, there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And, and Pharaoh being so impressed with Joseph's plan to save them that, uh, that he makes him second in charge. He becomes vice president from jailbird to vice president. Uh, this is an amazing move. And so, and he ended with the famine was now beginning. And so in verse, in chapter 42, um, the, the, uh, starts with the children of Israel, the children of Jacob are now in another country called Canaan and Canaan is feeling the effects of the famine. And so Jacob sends his children to the only place that has food, right? Which is, which is Egypt. And it's because of Joseph. And so he sends down his 10 brothers. He keeps Benjamin, who is his favorite son. And if you remember the story, if you go all the way back to Genesis 37, who was Jacob's favorite in the past? It was who? It was Joseph, right? And how do we know he was his favorite? Because remember, he had a he had a special coat. That's right. He had a Seahawks coat and everyone else had all the other teams. And so um, it's in there somewhere. So anyway, um, favorite coat. And so, and so now here, the, Jacob doesn't want to send his new favorite son, which is Benjamin. He sends the 10 down. And, and, and when they get there, the 10 brothers get in front of Joseph. Joseph recognizes them immediately. And he recognize, but the brothers don't recognize that Joseph is now the governor. And so Joseph begins to threaten them. And he, he's really testing. And you're going to see as we unpack our points this morning that Joseph is really getting at their heart. And he wants to see if their heart has been changed both towards Joseph, of course, but ultimately towards the Lord. And, and, uh, and so he, he tests them and he kind of threatens them. He says, you're spies. You're here to spy out the land. And, and he actually takes them and he throws them into prison for a couple days to let them think about it. And then finally he believe, you know, he pretends, but he believes their story. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you home with food, but don't come back here again unless you bring your younger brother, Benjamin. And so he keeps one of the brothers, Simeon in jail. He sends the rest home. They get home and Jacob is like frustrated. He's like, why didn't you come back? with Simeon and they come back with their food. And, and, and so, and so Jacob, they say, we can't go back and get more food unless we bring Benjamin. And Jacob says, I don't want to send my son, Benjamin. I've already been, already been robbed of my one son. I don't, I don't want to lose Benjamin as well. And so they, they open their sacks and they got their food. And what's at the top of the sack? It's the money that they took down. So now not only have they, as Joseph kept Simeon, required Benjamin to come, now it looks like they stole. Okay. And so it would be a very terrifying thing to go down a second time. Well, the famine's so severe, they go through all the food. And so they have to go back to Egypt. And these brothers who sold their brother into slavery, they have to go back and face Joseph face to face. And so this time they bring Judah and Reuben step in and they say to their dad, listen, take, let us take Benjamin. We'll make sure he's safe. We'll make sure he's secure. And so they take him down and they, get, they, they say they need food again. Joseph released Simeon. He throws a banquet in their honor. The brothers still don't know it's Joseph. Okay. And so Joseph sends them home with their sacks of grain. But in chapter 44, he sets them up one more time to test their heart. And the setup is they make it, he makes it look like Benjamin has stolen his favorite drinking cup, essentially. Okay. And so he sends the cops out after him. He arrests them. Benjamin's got the cup stolen in his sack of grain. And, and Joseph is essentially putting the brothers right back in the position they were with him when they had the opportunity 
opportunity to keep him, bring him home, or send, sell him into straight slavery. And he wants to see if their hearts have been changed. Okay, and that's where this ends in chapter 44. And so, the, here, so here, I'm going to give you the so what this morning. Here's the so what. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to hang in front of you the mirror of this thing called repentance. For us to connect with our God, the New Testament uses two really simple words. In order for us to connect with our creator, how great is our God? We just sang about that. Okay, in order for us to connect with our creator, we have to repent, and that deals with our sin nature and our human nature, and we have to believe. We have to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to believe in his person, that he was the son of God, fully God, fully man. We have to believe that he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve the consequence of sin. And by the way, what's the consequence of sin? Consequence of sin is death. That's why when we sing living hope and we say, man, I've overcome death, that means we've overcome the consequence of our sin, okay? And so Jesus, we have to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on a cross while on the cross, God poured out his hatred for sin, okay, on his own son in our stead. And then they laid his dead body in a grave. And three days later, the very consequence of sin, which is death, couldn't hold our savior, Jesus Christ. And so now our hope is in Christ. So that's what we believe in the person and the work of Jesus. So the gospel message, repent and believe, okay? And so this morning, I am gonna spend the 95% of the sermon on repentance. And I want to hold up the mirror of repentance. And I want you to be kind of looking into your own heart and life and say, man, am I taking this human condition, this, this sin nature as seriously as God takes it? And, and this is a journey. And I think a lot of times we hear, the, we hear gospel, repent and believe. We're like, oh, that's for people who aren't yet Christians. No, that's not the case. As Christians, the closer we grow to Christ, I think the more we realize, man, my sin nature, my human nature, my heart condition is really much worse than I even originally thought it was. And as we recognize that, we continue to flee to Christ and believe in his person and his work. And so, so this morning, it's the, the mirror is repentance. And I want us, so the so what is really checking your own heart and saying, man, am I taking sin as seriously as God takes it? So with that, let's jump in. Here we go. Ready? Point number one, we have to be very aware of sin's self-deception. Our our sin and our heart left to ourselves will deceive ourselves. And, and we have to be really careful of our own sin nature. We have to be really careful what really motivates us. And so we see this in Genesis 42, verse 11, where um, the 10 brothers that sold Joseph into slavery they now show up in front of Joseph and they bow down, which by the way, what did Joseph as a teenager have a dream about, remember? All the brothers are gonna bow down. And so now it's being fulfilled and they show up and they don't know that they're in front of Joseph. They're bowing down so that they can eat food. Joseph treats them harshly and here's what happens. Look at this. It says they respond to Joseph. They say, no, we are all sons of one man. We are, what's it say there, church? We're honest men. Now, can you imagine Joseph? He's got 
got to be sitting there thinking, you sold me into slavery, Potiphar's house. I was lied about. I ended up in prison, years in prison. And here you, my brother, still sit in front of me and think that you're telling the truth. Now, I'm sure I get it in the moment. They're like, hey, we're good. We're good. And we kind of do the same thing, right? Right? Like I'm good. I'm basically good. The problem is we compare ourselves to one another. I'm not as bad as, you're never gonna see your need for a savior until you understand, yes, you might not be as bad as, but in the presence of a holy God, your sin is wretched and horrible. We, we don't compare ourselves to one another. We have to compare ourselves to our God. And so here they are, right? They're compar- and Joseph knows you're not honest, man. They said, your servants are ne- have never been spies. And he said to them, he said, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they say, no, we, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. So they're essentially saying, Benjamin's still back with our dad. And then they say this, listen, and one is no more. They're still not telling the truth. He's, they don't know if he's no more or not. They're the ones that they should have said, and one, if they're being honest, and one, we sold into slavery. They're still not calling a spade a spade. Here they for almost 20 years, man, they've sat on their lies. They've never told their dad the truth. Here they are, in, to their mind, in front of a complete stranger who isn't a stranger, but they think it is. They continue to shade the truth about their brother, So let me make a couple points about sin, okay, and its own nature inside of us. Sin runs from the light. Sin doesn't like to be exposed. Sin, our sin does not naturally tell on itself. Our sin, you know what we do when we sin? We diminish its severity. We see that in Joseph, right? He, I mean, with these brothers, right? Well, we're honest, man, but, you know, give or take a few lies, Right? Sin lessens its severity. Sin, sin clusters too. Do you know that? When we choose sin over righteousness, um, sin clusters because it's never one sin. The sin has to be covered up. If you choose sin and then someone asks you, hey, you know, you said you were going to be here. Where, where were you? Well, now what do you got to do? You got to lie about it. Hey, what were you watching on that computer? You got to lie about it. What were you looking on in yourself? I mean, you were, you were buried in that thing. What's going on? You got to lie about it. And so sin begets sin, begets sin, begets sin, and it, it just tends to cluster. The, book of, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, man, we have to be very, very aware of sin's ability to even deceive our own hearts and minds. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the author of Hebrews says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called what, church? Like take today seriously when it comes to sin. We got to encourage, as a community of faith, we got to encourage one another. Why? Because that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. By the way, he's talking to believers, This letter is written to Christians. We have to be cautious of our own ability to wreck our lives with sin. And how do we do that? We do it actually in community. One of the 
key purposes of a church is a community of believers that surround you, that love you enough to make sure you're not on a habitual path to death, to a hard heart, to not taking sin seriously. So it's a big cog for us for membership. You may, you may be, maybe you've been coming for a coastal for a while. Maybe you've just started. Listen, one of our big pushes is church membership. Why? It's not to inflate our roles. That doesn't get us anything anyway, right? It, it's so that you ha- say, I am committing myself to a community of people that love the Lord enough and love me enough to say, you know what? Sin may deceive me. And so I want to surround myself with people that would love me enough that if I'm on the path to death would pull me aside and let me know it. And so I'm going to submit myself to a body of believers. Listen, if you can't join Coastal Community Church, find a church you can. Our next We Are Coastal class, that's the beginning on-ramp, is the 26th of April. Some of y'all on that tear-off right now need to fill that out and say, hey, come, put me down, I'm coming, all right? And we'll send you the reminder. Drop that in the basket on the way out. But it's a, a church is about, man, I understand sin's nature even in my own heart. I understand that I have to be humble about my own human condition, we need, as Christians, need to be a people of high alert of our own ability to sin. The author of the prophet Isaiah said this, he said in Isaiah 53, 6, he says, all we like sheep have gone, what? What's the word there, church? Sorry, we've all gone astray, right? We've each turned our own way. Everyone has gone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of course, he's talking about the sacrifice of Christ. I love that picture, by the way. I'm, I'm sure probably not too many of us in this room are shepherds, right? Like it, but he's painting the picture of how a sheep gets lost. I, re- I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a, we had a dog and my parents lived on, on, a, on a big, fairly sizable piece of property. And, and so it wasn't practical to fence in our yard, but we had this dog that would always run through the neighborhood and it drove my dad nuts. He didn't like that. And, and uh, he was just a really hard dog to keep in our yard. And so he didn't want him running through the neighborhood. And so what would happen is, is that he, we kept, you know, if we went out, we'd keep him in our garage and then we'd get home and me and my brother and sister and my mom would all get out of our little minivan and we'd stand by the edge of the garage and my dad would then hit the garage door opener and my dog would be there and it was like trying to catch Barry Sanders, okay? It was like, man, he would, some of you are like, who's Barry Sanders? Anyway, if you don't know who Barry Sanders is, shame on you. Anyway, so, you know, Barry Sanders was like, you know, and, and he was quick and he's fast. We'd all be, you know, we'd blow out our knees and throw out our backs trying to catch his dog. And man, he would bolt, you know, and he'd just be gone through the neighborhood. And, and uh, that is not how a sheep gets lost, actually. A sheep, that's the opposite. A sheep doesn't go, I'm looking around the flock, here I go, you know. A sheep gets lost generally when a shepherd's not paying attention and he nibbles himself one blade of grass at a time, right? His head's down, nibble, 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 nibble. And then one day he looks up and he's like, where is everybody? You know, and I'm kind of out here on my own. And, um, and the Bible says that's how we get really lost, right? I mean, have you ever... Have you ever seen some of these horrific news stories of these people that do horrible things, right? We all sit in disbelief. You, you shoot up a movie theater or you know, you, people that do horrible things to children. And you're like, how do you get there? Like, you ever think about that? Like, how do you get there? Like, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and thinks, man, I'd really, I'd love to be a child predator. No one says that. How do you get there? You, you nibble. 
It's, there's no community. There's one secret sin leads to another secret sin that no one knows. You never bring it to light. You never tell on yourself. You don't confess. You nibble, and then that sin is not satisfying enough. And you nibble, 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 nibble until you're committing a crime that's horrible, right? And, and we nibble our sin. So we have to be careful. I'm not saying every single one of us is as bad as we could be. But we have to be aware that one nibble potentially, if we don't tell on our sin, leads to the next nibble. And if we don't tell on our sin or we have brothers or sisters in Christ to help us and, tell, and on it goes, right? And so we have to be careful of sin's own self-deceitfulness. And we see that in Joseph's brother. Second thing I want you to see, guilt leads to shame and blame. But shame and blame is not repentance, Okay. And so the brothers, they're in jail and they're guilty, right? But they, but they haven't yet repent. And so we see this in 42, 21. It says, then they, so they're in the prison cell. Joseph's put them there for three days. He, you know, it's kind of like, go to your room and think about it, guys, uh, kind of thing. He has that position now. And so verse 21, it says, then they said to one another, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother. It's the first time they've brought this up. In that, we saw the distress of his soul. Remember, he begged us and we didn't listen. And that's why this distress has come upon us. And I love Reuben, right? Reuben answers him, I told you guys not to do it. That's kind of what he said. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen? How many of y'all have that sibling, right? They, they don't actually stop anything bad. They're just afterwards like, I told you, you know, yeah. That's Reuben, right? And you didn't listen. And so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Listen, guilt and shame is not the same as repentance, now, now, guilt and shame can lead us there. And we contemplate our sin and how it hurts, you know, it's a rebellion against the Lord, how it hurts others, you know, man, it can lead us to repentance, but it's not the same. You can be guilty and not repent. You can feel shame and, and not, and that's a, by the way, that's a terrible way to live. I mean, it's a burdensome, not a terrible, it's a burdensome way to live. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, he's like, for godly grief, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So he says there's, there's two kinds of shame and blame, one that leads us to our God, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, how we throw ourselves on God for mercy and strength, we acknowledge, call our sin what it is, and then there's another where we just leave with guilt and shame, right? And we feel the burden of our failures, right? And so the brothers feel the weight of their sin, but, but they haven't repented of their sin. And it makes me think of um, the prodigal son. Probably one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the prodigal son. You, you guys know the story, right? That this dad has this young boy and uh, the dad's rich and this youngest son says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance early, which is a terrible thing to say. It's essentially saying, I want you dead, I want you dead. I want your money. I just want your money. And so this young prodigal son, he goes and he squanders, the father gives it to him. He goes and squanders his inheritance, right? On partying and prostitution. And you can read all that for yourself. And, and then a famine hits, right? And so now this young kid's broke and he's not without money and the famine hits. And so he ends up doing what would probably in Jewish culture be the worst job you could have. He ends up feeding pigs. It's like the lowest job of the low. And he's feeding these pigs and he, um, he as he's feeding them, he longs to eat what they're eating. He's that hungry. And, and by the way, side note here, okay? 
you see the parallels between Joseph's brother, right, and famine, sin? Like maybe you're here today, maybe you're here today and you haven't been to church in a long time and you're just feeling the weight of your past and man, you can't, you're like, maybe, maybe the church has the answer and it's not like the church has the answer, the Bible has the answer, the gospel of Jesus has the answer. So it's no, it's, it's no um, accident that you're here today, okay? But let me tell you something, okay? If you stop with just shame and blame, you're not gonna find true salvation, okay? You, and I'm gonna talk to you about how you can find true salvation. But listen, sometimes the squeezes of life are really good for us. Sometimes the, when life squeezes and our sin and the consequence of our sin and man, we're broke, we're going, man, so maybe you're here today and you come because life's been squeezing. Sometimes the squeezing of life is really good for us to consider deep, eternal, spiritual truths. And that's where the prodigal son got, right? In Luke chapter 15, he gets there, right? And this is what Jesus tells the story in Luke 15, 16. It says, so this prodigal son, he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, it's one of my favorite lines in the Bible, by the way, the NLT, the New Living Translation actually translates it this way. It says, when he came to his senses. Why is that important? It's important because God has defined for us holiness and righteousness. And when we, and, and he's given us his ways in the scriptures. And I think a lot of times we look at the holiness and righteousness of God and we're like, man, God is like the cosmic killjoy. He ruins all the fun. And so we're out on a date when we're single, right? And, and, and we know that the Bible says, man, we're supposed to date in purity. We're not supposed to have sex before marriage. Sex is something God has given as a gift, but it's in the commitments of marriage. And so, but everyone else is sleeping together and it's all over TV. So, and you know, it's fine with CNN and Oprah or whoever, right? And on and on it goes. And so it must be okay. And so we think, man, God is holding out on us. And I want to propose to you that God's ways and God's righteousness are actually the best for us. They're good for us. They're life-giving. They're joy-giving. Sometimes, yes, he asks us to delay gratification for something better, yes? By the way, your retirement investment guy will tell you the same thing, right? So we, something better. And so he's always got our best in mind, but when we sin, we are choosing actually to harm ourselves, and, and I would propose to you, when we choose sin over righteousness, we've lost our minds. Hey, I'm going to self-harm. I'm going to hurt myself by doing it my way. And the prodigal son says, when he came to his senses, he thought, man, how many of my father's hired servants have plenty to eat, and they perish, but I'm here perishing with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and I will go to my... So he begins to rehearse what he's going to say. I'll arise, I'll go to my father's house, and I will say to him... And this is what he says. He says in his rehearsal, he goes, Father, I have sinned against what, church? He starts with God. My, it is you that I've offended. Yes, I've offended my earthly father, but I've started, I've sinned against him. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what he goes home and says. Listen, Joseph's brothers are still in the blame shifting game, right? Reuben, I told you guys. He doesn't own it. Some of you are here this morning and, and you're loving your sin and your life's crumbling and you're blaming everyone else. You're still blame shifting. Genuine repentance 
starts with understanding that ultimately I've offended God. It doesn't look at the people around us. Sometimes we go there, right? Ma'am, you know what? I realize the way to my sin and I go to the people. I've hurt you and I've hurt you and I've hurt you. It doesn't start there. It starts with God. Genuine repentance, number three, begins by acknowledging our sin against God. The boy in the pig pen did that, right? His genuine repentance, yes, he got squeezed by his circumstances, but his genuine repentance was, man, I've sinned against God. And so Joseph, we see that here, and when Joseph sends his brothers back home, now they've brought Benjamin, which his father, Jacob, was super scared to let Benjamin go to Egypt because he didn't want to lose his son. And so Joseph is setting up his brothers by hiding something precious to him in Benjamin's bag of grain. And then he sends the cops to go get his brothers. And when they show up, it's discovered. The brothers actually say, okay, they actually say, listen, whoever has the cup, you could take his life, take his life. And so thinking no one has this, this precious thing of Joseph's and lo and behold, Joseph set them up. It's in Benjamin's bag of grain. And so in verse 40, chapter 44, verse 16, it says, and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? Or what shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? So Judah steps up and he takes responsibility. And he says this very important. He says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. For the first time, he's acknowledged his sin against God. Genuine repentance. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. And so we, genuine repentance begins with understanding the holy character of God. Our sin is against God and his character. We ha- in order for us to go to heaven, we have to go to heaven perfect. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to expound on that. You should listen to last week's sermon, Okay. If you want to know, but we have to, to, in order to go to heaven, we have to stand in God's presence perfect. We have to understand genuine repentance means the only person that can genuinely forgive me is God. So we have to run to God because God has the ability to forgive my sin. Why does he have the ability? Well, number three, because God has made provision, letter C, God has made provision for the debt that we owe, right? This is the gospel of Jesus, In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Good Friday. Why do we celebrate Good Friday? It's the crucifixion of Christ. Listen, when we look at the bloodied, broken body of Jesus Christ, and listen, the crucifixion is excruciating, and it's, it's gross. It's borderline barbaric. And it's easy to sit here and go, why would God demand that? We are to look at the crucifixion of Christ and we are to say, that's how much God hates my sin. We cannot trifle with our sin. God does not trifle with our sin. And he makes provision for its forgiveness. It's not by you walking out of here and doing good or being good or trying to be better. It is by you throwing yourself completely on the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of our God, trusting that in Christ, he has made provision for the forgiveness of our sin. Amen. Some of you are here this morning. You're a Christian. And 
you're still living with shame and guilt from something in your past. Now, you've confessed it and you believe that Jesus died for it, right? But what does Psalm 103 say about our God when he forgives our sins? He has forgiven our sins as far as the, what? East is from the west. And so some of us in this room, and this may be part of your journey to cling to Christ, so it's not all bad, but some of us are being debilitated. Well, Pastor John, you, I mean, you don't understand, like, like there was that season of my life where I had this addiction and my wife or my ex-wife or my children, man, they, they bore the brunt of my addiction. I, I just can't. I just can't get past that. Pastor John, you don't understand. Like there was that, um, like I've never told anybody. I, I, I was pregnant, college, and I had an abortion. Nobody knows that. I have this secret addiction to pornography and it just, it just, I still can't forgive myself. I'm over it now, but I, I just can't forgive myself. And we go on and on and on and on. Here's what we're saying when we continue to bear the shame and the guilt, here's what we're saying. The blood of Christ was not sufficient to pay for my sin. And I've got really good news for you. The blood of Christ, because he's the perfect son of God, is completely sufficient to pay for your sins. So you keep running to God and go, God, at that time, 10 years ago, and God, I, maybe God's saying, what are you talking about? Because I forgive as far as the, what? East is from the west. Why? Because he poured out his wrath on his son. Christ's blood is sufficient believer even for you, right? And letter D, then once we confess to God, we turn it over to God to restore our broken relationships. God, it's, you're gonna, you know, we don't have to, and I'm, and I'm going to talk about um, restitution in a minute, okay? But once we fix our relationship with God, God now works around us. Now, I'm not saying we don't go to people and say, man, my sin hurt you. Can you forgive me? But here, if you start with people, people may or may not forgive you. Yes? Some of you are dealing with those relationships from your past. Like, I, you can't fix them on your own. And this is why it's very, very important that genuine repentance starts with the Lord. And then the Lord takes care of working, right? And so, um, Josh, I'm going to skip Psalm 51, okay, for time's sake. But uh, I would encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with sin, to read Psalm 51, all right? Write that down in your notes, all right? This is, it's the story of where David got caught in sin with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. He kills her husband. He gets confronted by the prophet Nathan. And, and out of that, he has genuine repentance and he writes Psalm 51. I would encourage you, read Psalm 51 as a great guide to help us through repentance. But true repentance starts by understanding my violation is ultimately against God. And as such, the only way to clear the deficit that I owe God is to throw myself on the mercy and grace of God. I don't earn it. I can't make up for it. I can't do more good. 
Rather, I confess my sin. I call it what it is. I acknowledge. I repent, which means I do a 180. I'm not going to keep doing it. I'm going to turn from it because I realize every time I behave in that sinful manner, I'm, I'm doing myself harm. And I believe that our God is merciful and he's kind and he's gracious. And by the way, if you're new here and you're wondering like, why do those people sing that song out so loud? How great is our God? Because Christians know that's how great our God is. He's merciful and he's kind and he's gracious. He bore the weight of our sin. He conquered sin's consequence by rising from the dead. And so finally, what we see out of Joseph's brother is what I call the overflow of genuine repentance, which is love for others. Here's the overflow of genuine repentance. First, we care about others, right? And so in in Genesis 44, for the first time, um, we see Uh, the brothers care about their father and what he cares about, right? And so in Genesis 44, verse 12, after uh, Benjamin got caught stealing or he was set up, but he got caught, right? And so it says, and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending to the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack or sack of grain. And then they tore, so the brothers tear their clothes and the Old Testament is a sign of just humility and repentance. They tear their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. For the first time, these brothers care about their brothers and they care about what their father cared about. Genuine repentance means our hearts beat for the things that God's hearts beat for. What did Jesus say, right? When he was asked, when he was asked to sum up all of the Bible, what did he say? Love God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength and do what? The second's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first time these brothers do that. Their hearts beat for what their father's heart beats for and they love their brother. Secondly, or letter B, they make restitution, right? They seek to make restitution. Judah steps in in verse 33 as he stands before Joseph and he says, Thou, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. So Joseph wanted to keep Benjamin and, jo- and Judah says, no, take, take me instead as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brother's. He seeks to make restitution. And we, we saw this last spring when we talked about, I mean, last fall, when we talked about Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which means he was a wretched, two-timing, double-crossing, tax-collecting thief, okay? That describes what tax collectors did in New Testament times. And so he gets to know Jesus, and he repents of his sin, and he becomes a Christian. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, and Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, so he's a believer now, and he says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Now, here's what you have to understand. Zacchaeus understood the book of Leviticus. I know most of you are like, I've read Leviticus. All right. Uh, No, so he understood it, right? Because Leviticus says, if you steal anything, you should repay it with a 20% increase. So if you steal 100 bucks, you repay the person you stole with with 120 bucks. And Exodus says that if you steal one sheep, you repay it with five sheep, right? And so if you steal 100, you give 500. And so what is Zacchaeus doing here? He's calling himself a thief. He's like, let's call it what it is. I've been a thief my whole career. And so I want to make restitution like a thief should make restitution. This is what sin does. It says, listen, I, I, my sin was ugly and I, as best I can, I, I want to make restitution with other people. Maybe somebody in this room that needs to, to write a letter of forgiveness this week to a loved one, a parent, a 
child. Right? Hey, you know what? I can't take back the years, but let me call my sin. Let me let you know, I, here's what my sin really is and was. And the be- I've made things right with God through Christ, and the best I can do is ask you to forgive me. Somebody in this room needs to make restitution this week. It's going to free you. It's going to set that relationship on a new trajectory. And finally, this morning, genuine repentance leads, rejoices with others' blessings. And so Joseph throws this big party, right? He sets the brothers up in birth order, which is shocking to them. How's he know the oldest from the youngest? And he gives Benjamin the the biggest stuff, right? He gives them the most stuff. We see that in verse 34 of Genesis 43. It says portions were taken from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as the other brothers or theirs. And they drank and they were merry with him. Joseph was testing, do these brothers still get mad when somebody else gets it better than them? Listen, genuine repentance has a heart, is a heart posture that says I can celebrate when someone else gets what I really wanted, Right? Can you really celebrate when that person at work gets the position that you wanted? Can you really celebrate when someone gets the newer car that you really wanted? Can you really celebrate when that single person in your small group gets married and you're still single? Can you really celebrate when you and your husband are trying to get pregnant and the person in your small group gets pregnant instead? Can you really celebrate with them? A heart posture of repentance rejoices with those that God chooses to bless. That's a great mirror for where my heart is. Can I celebrate with those that celebrate? When my son was, my oldest son was younger, I remember one time he was, and I'll close with this, we'll close with prayer. I, I remember my, he was sitting on the, my garage step out in the outside garage and um, he had a toy. I don't remember the toy, but it was broken, but it was really easy to fix. And so here he is with his broken mess and I got down on one knee and uh, and I said, here, son, let me help you with that. And he looks at me with a defiant look and he goes, no, dad, I can do it. And so I said, okay. And so I just got up and went about my day, you know, and I kept doing and he sat there with what was a 30 second fix. He sat there for a long time and I felt bad for him, you know, a little bit, but I, I didn't intervene. And finally, as I'm passing him by in the garage, he looks up and he said, hey, daddy. I said, yeah, son. He said, can you help me? Cause I can't do it. I said, I know, son. Neither can I. Let me call my neighbor. No, just kidding. That ruined the illustration. So you guys know I can't fix anything. No, I said, I, I, said, I know, son. And I was able to get down and fix his toy. Now, here's the takeaway, okay? The takeaway is for both a belief, if you're here today as a Christian or a non-Christian. The takeaway is the same. We're really broken. And we can't fix it. I had a professor in seminary, he said that the gospel message is really a, a tale of two extremes. The one extreme, he, he said this, he said, he, said, um, he said, cheer up. You're far, far worse and you're far more sinful than you can even imagine about yourself. And he said, and cheer up. The love of God is far greater than you dare dream. And I think we preach the gospel to ourselves, leaning one side or the other as our heart posture needs to. And so here's the message this morning. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, repentance is the beginning of sitting down and going, Daddy, I'm broken and I can't do it. I know my son. I know my daughter. 
Repentance is understanding I'm a sinner, confessing my sin, and running to Jesus as your Savior. And for the believer, guess what? The message is no different. We somehow think the gospel is for those who aren't Christians, and now once we become a Christian, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, as we draw close to Jesus, what does Jesus do? He reveals our heart. And we see what our heart really is made of because we're not without sin until we get to heaven. It makes us go, hey, daddy, I'm really broken. Yeah, I know, my son. Come to me. Throw yourself at my feet. I'm here to help you. The heart posture of the believer is, daddy, I can't do it. And he says, I know, my son. Flee to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. May we be aware of our, our human nature, our sin nature, that we would flee to Christ every moment of every day. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great story. That reminds us of our own hearts. It's a mirror to our own hearts. It reminds us we're needy. We're broken. Daddy, I can't do it. I can't fix myself. Yeah, I know my son. I know my daughter. That's why I sent my son, Jesus, to save you. And may we call our sin what it is and may we flee to Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you're here this morning and you came in and you have a prayer need, don't leave today without praying with someone. And we would love to pray with you and minister to you. And so you can go out to our prayer chapel and we have people there waiting to pray with you. So let's do this. Let's stand. Let's go out celebrating how great our God is who saves us from our sin. Let's stand and sing together. How great.